episode 20 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, my guests are Rachel Gander and Kim Worker. Rachel is a sewist, mom, wife, designer, blogger, and fabric enthusiast who learned to sew alongside her mom, but lost interest in the craft until her early 20s. She's spent the last 15 years making up for lost time, experimenting with modern quilting, accessories and garment sewing, pattern design, hand-printed fabric, and textile design. Rachel's original patterns feature classic silhouettes with a modern twist that incorporates clever details and practical techniques. Rachel blogs at imaginats.com. Rachel Gander, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Kim Worker is an editor and speaker who tries to make something every day, and sometimes that something is ugly on purpose. Through Mighty Ugly, she helps people confront their creative demons so they can make more stuff or even make great stuff. Her new book, Make It Mighty Ugly, will come out this fall. Day-to-day, Kim is a freelance editor working with self-publishers to make their eBooks or craft patterns better organized, more clearly written, and generally polished. This spring, she's been revisiting a long dormant part of her career, crochet. Her new crochet class with Craftsy will launch in the early summer. Never content, obviously, to do only one kind of thing, Kim has worked hard to accept that she just needs to do a bunch of different things, all while working from home in Vancouver, Canada, with an aging mutt asleep in the next room. Kim Worker, welcome. Thanks, Abby. It's great to have both of you here. I'm really excited to talk with you. Um, so, Rachel, we're going to start with you. You recently did an Indiegogo campaign to help you fund a line of print patterns. Yeah. What was your goal with the campaign, and how is the project coming along? Well, my goal with the campaign um, was to raise at least some portion of the amount of money it would take to have um, my, at the time, five existing garment patterns taken to print. And really, I just, it was one of those things where I was already going to do it. So I didn't want to do one of those fundings where you have to get all the money or, you know, or you get nothing. Um, so I figured that way people could, you know, either just throw in some money to support it or get the perks. You could pre-order a pattern in essence. Um, and just basically sell some of them ahead of time in a way. So that was kind of that idea behind it. And how is it coming along? So when did the campaign end and what's happened since then? So the campaign ran for the month of February. So it's been over for a little bit now. Um, After it ended... I spent a lot of time staring at file names on my computer, uh, thinking about how I needed to then translate my PDF files into a whole different um, size and format for the printing. And then at some point about a month ago, I realized that that was not going to magically have done itself one morning when I woke up. So I actually ended up having the printer who Palmer printing is doing all of the the actual pattern, the booklets and the pattern pieces and all that printing. So they actually then also did for me all of the, the graphics, the, the digital work as far as to make the PDF patterns into the printed patterns, which was an unbelievably wonderful thing. Uh, really allowed me to, say, okay, this can all get worked on and I can, I can start working on something else. So at this point, the original five patterns are all completely ready to print. I have proofed the paper patterns. And uh, what did happen was that I designed two additional patterns in the meantime that are, have just been released. And so I'm under the gun getting all of those files to them so I can sneak patterns six and seven into the first print run as well. Okay, wait. So two questions. First, yes. why is the name of this printer? Palmer? Palmer, yes. Okay. And is this something that's local to you or something you found online? Um, I actually found it from recommendation. It was recommended by a few people. I know that Ray um, from Made by Ray uses them and also April Rhodes. And I actually... It's funny because... 
a year ago. So quilt market is this month. I, a year ago when I went to my first quilt market, my one of my big goals there was I'm going to go to the Palmer booth and talk to them. And this seems like a terrifying thing to do, right? So I went and I talked to them and basically they said, yes, that's lovely. Here's a Here's some paperwork and, you know, give us a call when you get home. And so then I sat on that paperwork and did nothing about it for a very long time uh, until uh, for my husband, I had been sitting on it for so long and that I thought maybe I needed some help. (laughs) Uh, So then he started emailing me and saying, hey, did you call Palmer yet? Um, so finally I did. Isn't that lovely? (laughs) (laughs) That's what husbands are for. (laughs) I know. You know, and I said, I know that I want to do this. I'm basically, I'm just scared to death. So if I don't make the phone call, you know, I know nothing will happen. So we're good. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. So, um, procrastination is most often fear, at least for me, I guess. So, um, yeah, so finally when I called, they have a whole department that handles sewing patterns specifically, and they are so good. <laughs> like, they are just so good. And um, Michelle is the rep, I guess, in the, that handles most of the customer service for the sewing patterns, and she's just fabulous. I just, I can't say enough good things about them. The prices are great. The service is great. The amount of stuff they'll do is, I mean, basically you go to them and say, here's what I have now. Here's what I want the end product to be. And they say, okay, you know, we can do everything to get you there. We can do part of it. What do you feel comfortable doing? What do you not want to do, you know, how much do you want to spend? Is there something you could do instead of us doing that would save you a little money? That kind of stuff. Yeah, that was my next question. So were your PDFs um, photos or uh, were they illustrations made in like Illustrator? Well, the first three patterns I did were photos, which, and I will tell you, that's a good question because that's one of the things that held me up for a long time in taking everything from the PDF eight and eleven eight and a half by eleven format to the smaller printed size format, is that I thought, well, I have to make line drawings of every one of these steps, and so I that was one of the things I talked to Michelle about when I had asked them about doing the graphics, and she she said, well, let's see what the pictures look like um, printed in black and white, if. You know, sometimes if the contrast is good enough, she said, you know, they'll look fine. But if they don't, then we'll cross that bridge. You know, why do it before we know we have to? So we ended up doing the first three patterns with the photos. And I think that they're clear. I've been doing, I've done illustrations for the last um, four patterns because it's just as easy, honestly, for me to do it that way than to take all the photos of the step-by-step. So I might as well just do it that way. But I don't need to go back and redo the original ones. So that was that felt like a win. Isn't it amazing how sometimes when you actually just make those phone calls and ask the right questions, it turns out that it's not as horrible as, you know, in your mind. I feel like in my mind it's always so big. Like, this is going to be so big that I can't even begin. But then, of course, like, other people are doing it. It can't be that horrible. Like, you've... (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Well, congratulations to you. That sounds so exciting. So are you going to market? I am going to market. And um, I'm excited. It's, It's such a whirlwind, but you know, the, the greatest fabric fueled whirlwind. Yeah. Um, But I'm going and hopefully I, I'm hoping to kind of, the last time I went, I didn't really have a specific focus, I guess. I just felt like I was supposed to go. And so I went and I made a lot of great connections and a lot of work and good things have come out of it. Um, I do feel a little more focused this time because I definitely want to get out the word about, the printed patterns and, you know, definitely be selling them through some distributors, but it's also nice to be able to sell direct to the shops where you can, because I mean, honestly, there's just a whole 30% you don't lose. So, right. That's right. Exactly. Well, that's super exciting. Um, I think that's, that's fantastic. And in, in your 
your pattern uh, shop, you also sell embroidery patterns, and those are not going to be print patterns, at least for now. I'm, I'm assuming those are still in the in PDF. Yeah, those are still PDF. I have done before some, like I just made myself, like little kits, embroidery kits for some of, like a superhero Valentine pattern. And that's one of those things I've thought about doing again. It's just kind of time intensive, so it hasn't made it to the to that side of the list of things that are actually going to get done yet. Uh-huh. Okay. And then you also sell fabric. So I'm imagining yes. that, um, you know, for me, people ask me all the time, actually, I just had a request this morning from somebody who said, you know, they, who wants kits for my patterns. And oh, yeah. I always just sort of feel like in order to, to move in that direction, I would need storage space because I'm going to need to order bolts and I don't yeah. have space. I mean, I barely have space for what I do now, realistically. Um, so I'm imagining that you must have had to sort of make a shift when you started to sell yardage. Well, so the thing is that we have a closet upstairs that's um, I guess you could say it's a walk-in closet. I mean, it's a very small walk-in closet, basically. That at some point had games and some linens. And over the last two years has slowly become, you know, oh, we can stick the stack of board games in the basement. Or maybe we just don't need these. So um, yeah, last weekend, we made the final shift and took everything that's not fabric related out of the closet because I just got 30 bolts from Kaufman in this week. So, uh, definitely needed some space and I have about 200 yards of fabric that I need to de-stash because it's all sitting in a pile. And I am just never going to sew with all of it, but all of that is to say that I don't, technically have what I would call enough space for the amount of fabric I have, but we, we make it work, um, kind of at my limit a little bit. So we'll see. Yeah. I imagine that that would be a lot considering the new order that just came in. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I work out of our bedroom and so, I mean, it's insane cause I have, um, studio lights and, a photography set up up there and I have all my fabric. I have all the books, all the tools, a desk, sewing machine, ironing board, and our bed. So it's like, yeah. we basically just sleep in the corner and the rest of it is my studio, but we don't have any other space for me. Like we don't have a finished basement. There isn't any other space. So really like I'm sort of bursting at the seams as it is. Um, so yeah, it's hard to kind of dream bigger when you don't have all the space you need, but right. yeah, but good for you for filing, for wedging it into the, to the <laughs> closet space that you do have. That's a good thing to do. Yeah. Well, I also did, I, for a while had all of this stuff in the bedroom too. And then probably about six months ago, we just, I, I kind of took over the living room and dining room. So, um, you know, there's still room to, to function as a living room and dining room, but dotted through them are, you know, my ironing board and my desk and the computer and everything. So yeah, I feel like I have a lot of space, which is nice. I mean, we don't, there's my, me and my husband, we have two girls. So we, you know, we don't take up a ton of Right. I don't know. There's not a whole lot of living that happens in the living room. I don't know. It's mostly sewing now. As it should be. Um, Okay. Super. So Kim, let's um, turn to you. So you worked as a crochet designer for many years. And then more recently, you've been working on this big ongoing project, Mighty Ugly, helping people confront their feelings of self-doubt and that hamper their creativity. So what is the sort of overarching concept behind Muddy Ugly and how do you make it come to life for people? Mm, it's a big question. Um, I never worked as a crochet designer. Oh, I hate, okay. I hate designing crochet. Oh. Um, I love working with crochet designers. So I always worked editorially in crochet, which is just something to mention. Um, <laughs> so when you were at, yeah. Inter- when, I know you worked at Interweave. So what did you do there? I was the editor of Interweave Crochet Magazine from for a couple of years between the end of 2006 to the end of 2008. Okay. Um, and I and I got there through this sort of trajectory of online magazine 
creation and editing and, um, and the crochet books that I've written have either been sort of reference books or multi-contributor books where I've worked with a lot of other designers. That's my favorite thing is to collaborate with designers, but I find uh, design itself to be tedious and utterly unenjoyable. That's so interesting. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> I think it's kind of why I ended up sort of moving fairly quickly through the ranks in publishing because n- nobody wants to do what I actually really wanted to do. And I don't want to do what everyone else wants to do. So it worked out really nicely. Yeah. <laughs> um, in that regard. So, so yeah, so it was actually my career in editing that led directly to sort of the freelance work I do now in editing. Um, but Mighty Ugly is uh, truly my, my kind of love of, of the moment and of the last few years. And the, the concept behind Mighty Ugly is that, uh, like Rachel referred to earlier, procrastination for her being very tightly associated with fear. Um, I think we all have, you know, we, we all experience creative demons that are very similar. And though the roots of them might be different for each of us, you know, we all procrastinate sometimes. We all feel blocked. We all um, fear failure. We doubt ourselves. Um, and so Mighty Ugly stems from an experience I had that actually also has its roots in my crochet career. So when I was working a lot in crochet, I was... Um, at the time, I didn't know that people referred to themselves this way, but I was, I guess, a fearless crocheter. I was not intimidated by trying new things. And it was a very rude awakening to me to get more and more involved in the crochet industry, which led me to talk to lots and lots and lots of crocheters and to discover that a lot of people fear, uh, feel a very common uh, discomfort about trying new things, even if they have a lot of skills and expertise. And I was constantly feeling like, dude, it's, it's yarn. Like, so you screw it up. That's how you learn. You rip it out. It's not even a waste of yarn. It's not even like paper or fabric that if you cut it wrong, you know, you can't use it for what you intended to use it for with yarn. You can just rip it out, wind it back up again and start again. And I didn't, I never was able to relate to this ubiquitous discomfort that I always seem to encounter when I talk to crocheters about trying new things and being adventurous. Um, and then one day I felt that fear. <laughs> it, it wasn't about crochet. It was about sewing of all things. And Abby, you might be uh, delighted to know that it was about sewing a doll. Aww. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was at a friend's birthday party. My friend Ian had a birthday party. It was a crafty birthday party and he had fabric around and like, you know, booze and snacks and stuff. And, um, and I found this fabric that I absolutely loved because it was so ugly. And, I was like, this has to be made into something. And I think this has to be made into a doll. And at the time I had no idea how to sew. I didn't know how to sew dolls. I didn't know anything about sewing techniques. And I probably, I don't think at the time that I had used a sewing machine, you know, in years and, uh, unskillfully at that. And so I sat with this fabric and felt all of the things that people had been telling me they felt when I was talking to them about crochet and baffled about why they were not trying new things. And I felt, I felt intimidated. I felt like a fraud. Like I was this person who worked in the crafts industry, sitting at this party, not knowing how to craft something. Right. And I felt, you know, that I was going to be found out. And in the end, I, I was like, you know, I love this fabric because it's hideous. So I'm just going to make this doll as ugly as I possibly can. And suddenly all of the discomfort like dissolved, it went away. And I like approached making that doll with an abandon I hadn't felt since I was a child, right? Where it didn't matter that I didn't know what I was doing and it didn't matter that it looked awful because that was my intent and I lost myself in it. I don't remember anything else about the party, but like making this doll and how free I felt and that idea stuck with me for a long time until eventually I created Mighty Ugly because I was like, I think everybody in the world, no matter what they do, whether they're crafters or artists or makers or accountants or engineers or lawyers, I think we all could benefit from this shift in perspective that comes with making something ugly on purpose. Okay. So now that you have this really great uh, kernel of an idea, so how do you make that happen for people? Ah, well, I mean, okay, so I do several things. I do workshops, 
Um, and I do those locally. I do them at big events. I do them at conferences and I do two kinds of different workshops. One is a hands-on craft workshop. I have a cabinet. I was listening to you guys talk about storage issues and my, I work from home as well. And my, my office slash studio is also our guest room. So I'm in a constant state of making it a disaster and then frantically having to clean it up when, uh, people come to visit and, uh, which is happening in two days. So I'm like listening to you guys talk about this, staring at the nuts <laughs> in my studio going, Oh God, I have two days to contain it all. But I have, uh, like an Ikea Pax cabinet in my studio that's filled with scraps of stuff that I've collected that my crafty friends have given me and stuff that I save from the recycling bin so that, and I, and I pack them all up into a kit and I go and lead workshops about making something ugly on purpose. And I use, scraps and discarded materials because you can't in good conscience ask someone to make something ugly out of anything that could be perceived as precious. And, uh, and in my workshops, we talk about what ugly is and, um, and what beautiful is and what we usually feel when we approach a project and what goes through our minds and then how we think about the project when we're working on it, what, what tends to hang us up, what, what makes us stuck? What do we feel fear about? Um, and a lot of times I think what we do is we push those negative thoughts out of our minds. We live in this era of like a cult of positive thinking. Like if we acknowledge that we're fearful or that we think about failure, then we're doing it wrong. And I think that's a really unhealthy way to think about anything. I think that for every positive, there's a negative and they exist in some sort of, you know, tug of war harmony. Um, and so then we, we make stuff. And people have very different experiences of making something ugly on purpose. Some people have an experience like I did, which is like, you know, gleeful abandon. Uh, but more often, I think people feel extraordinary discomfort. They don't, they're not comfortable going and setting out to make something that's the kind of thing they usually avoid making at all costs. And that becomes a very rich experience. And I love listening to conversation that happens around the table when I lead a Mighty Ugly workshop because people start looking at each other going, I don't know, that looks kind of cute, you know, like it's a bad thing. And and then the conversation turns to, well, how can you make that less cute and more ugly, which is the opposite of what we usually try to do. Um, and then the other kind of workshop I do are, are conversation workshops. So they don't involve making per se, but they involve a lot of discussion. And my favorite workshop that's uh, a conversation has to do with business, actually. Um, I taught it last month at the Craftcation Conference in California, and I call it Embracing the Ugly Side of Business. And that's directly associated with these fears and discomforts that we have um, in our businesses, especially as creatives, when we're usually the only person involved and everything rests on our shoulders, there are things that all of us feel intensely uncomfortable about, and they tend to really hold us back. And like with the act of making something in the act of running a business, if we actually pay attention to those things, if we name them and explore where they're coming from and explore how we might um, feel better about them and solve those problems rather than like just shoving them to the back of our minds, we explore how that can help us in our business and help us feel more successful and capable. And that just loops back around to Rachel, what you were saying in the beginning about having the, um, the name and information from Palmer for a year and not acting on it. And then finally acting on it and then sort of looking at your PDF patterns and being like, how come they're not ma making themselves into print patterns? Like <laughs> these are some of those things that sort of linger in your mind and you're like, God, I don't know. I don't know how to solve that problem. And, um, so Kim, you're asking people to sort of take those things out and put them on the table and really think about, you know, is there a way to solve these things and, and to move forward? Yes, exactly. And I think a lot of times one of my, I wrote a blog post about this recently. One of my favorite things that happens in these workshops is something that I try not to say, uh, but I, I hope someone in the room says it, which is I hired someone, you know, to do something. And, and I don't believe, I'm not saying that because I think that throwing money at a problem is the answer. Um, all the time, but I think that especially as a business person, it often is, right? Rachel's answer was Oh my to, God. Yeah. Right? It was <laughs> and I, here's the other thing I did recently is a friend of mine who's an amazing friend but also very talented quilter and with internet stuff, redid my website and then I said, you know what? Like 
this whole experience of you doing my website for me, like, I just really enjoyed in that, like, I got to talk about what I wanted something to be, and you helped me make that happen, and I I can't really let go of you <laughs> in that capacity. So she still, um, I mean, and we were friends anyway, but I just pay her an hourly rate for doing work on my site. And so when WordPress needs an update, I email her and say, hey, like, help. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to tell you what, it is one of the greatest darn things ever. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I am all in favor of delegating and hiring somebody to help you when it comes to this sort of thing. It's just, it's unbelievable. And I think as DIYers, right? Like, and we are all three of us are self-employed. We work from home and we are in the crafts industry. So you do really feel like this is my business and I need to do everything from the accounting to cutting the fabric to customer service to maintaining the website, building the shop, everything. And even if I sort of suck at those things or I don't like doing some of them, I have to do all of them. Even if the product is sort of subpar in the end and it could have been better. And more recently, I've realized like, mm, nope, actually, I don't have to do all of those things. And it doesn't cost all that much money. And in fact, I might make more money if I allow somebody else to do them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So can I t- I'm sorry. I'm totally interrupting you today. But I think that you guys will appreciate this. And if I tell you this now, I don't have to write the blog post that's been sitting in drafts. Because <laughs> 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 I don't the words to type aren't really there. It's more like a conversation. But so um, this lady, um, Buffy Joshimal, was a, was a contestant on Project Runway. And I was working in a fabric store here in Cincinnati the season she was on. And we interviewed most of the contestants. And so I had interviewed her. And then we talked recently because she put out a book. And she's just kind of hilarious. And But she spends most of her time in Dubai but was in New York City for the book launch. And she was telling me something really fascinating, which was that in New York, um, which is like her version of, you know, the States. So I don't know. New York is, to me isn't like the whole United States, but whatever. Um, you know, people all really need to like do everything themselves. There's this, there's like a culture of busyness and of importance of doing things yourself. And, but she said that in Dubai, it's very different. One, she thinks just because the culture has been different for so long, but you can pay people to do things for you at, at much cheaper rates, which is part of it. But, you know, she said people that aren't well to do, you know, have people do things for them because that's just what you do. You like outsource everything. And I just thought, what a fascinating cultural difference, like this, and, and like, how does that affect the speed of the culture, you know, or the, your busyness or your ability to let things go sort of, you know, I feel like there's a bigger thing to explore there. Yeah. And it also, um, and I know all three of us are moms too. I do think it also relates back to uh, raising children too and coming to the realization that it's actually a good thing to have more than just you and your spouse involved in this. Like other people can do this and should help you do this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That was like my other blog post recently that I was found so cathartic to write, which was how daycare changed everything for me. Like, Right. I was like, changed everything for me. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I do think I, I do want to write about that at some point because, um, it's sort of tricky because everybody's situation is different and financial situation is different and there's so many variables. So I guess you can only really write from your own personal experience. Um, but I do feel like it does relate to that as well, to running a business and running a household and raising children. So, um, okay, super guys. So I want to dig into these lists. Rachel and Kim and I have all, um, gathered lists of things that we're recommending right now. And if it's okay with you guys, I think we're going to dig in. Um, Okay, cool. So, uh, so Rachel, we're going to start with you actually, and you wanted to talk about a food thing. So this is, um, I don't know if I'm saying it right. Piata Italian street food. So, okay, I'm a little obsessed. (laughs) So we, um, you know, we try to eat super healthy and stuff and 
Um, we like grow a bunch of our own food and all that jazz. But um, there's something really great about a super like on the verge of fast food place. And so Piata is like Italian version of Chipotle. Kind of. That's the best way I can explain it. So you go in and you can pick like these wrap sandwiches or a bowl of pasta and you pick what meat you want, what kind of sauces you want, which is all lovely. Okay. So it's good, whatever. Um, but then at the end you have the option to get this dessert, which they call cannoli chips, which are basically tiny little cannoli shells with like the cannoli filling in a little container to dip it in. Oh my God. Right? Amazing. Yes. So good. Yeah. Well, we have, I live in Boston and we have Mike's Pastry in the North End, which is delicious cannolis. So um, I, like, I have to stay away. But (laughs) yeah, the the piano ones probably aren't that good. But But that's sort of brilliant. I'm in the Midwest. So (laughs) you take what you can get. Exactly. (laughs) So is that, are they available anywhere? Because we don't have that, that chain. here. So is it, is that like an, you're in Ohio? Is that like an Ohio? I don't know. A friend of mine in Cleveland, um, found one near her and went, um, Mm. she wasn't quite as smitten as I was, (laughs) I should say in all fairness, but, um, I'm not sure what the, the spread of them is. It's new here. So. Okay. So maybe it's coming. Maybe. Let's hope it's coming. That sounds good. <laughs> All right, Kim, you wanted to talk about um, your Gorilla Pod tripod. I have a Gorilla Pod, but I don't think I have the same one that you have. So, how do you use yours? Well, so I just got this particular one the other day. So GorillaPod is a tripod. It's a short tripod, not the kind that stands on the floor. Um, you know, it's maybe about a foot long and each of the legs is flexible and, and, and also kind of rigid. So you can bend the GorillaPod. You can also wrap it around things like banisters or, you know, tree branches or something. So it makes it a really flexible way to hold your camera. And I had a bigger one that will hold my digital SLR that I've had for many years, but, um, I have a new phone and it didn't fit the little attachment I had. And my phone is my video camera and I needed to record a short crochet tutorial video actually for Vancouver Mini Maker Fair because we have this harebrained idea to try to set the Guinness Book of Records um, record for the greatest number of people simultaneously crocheting because it's Maker Fair and it's ridiculous and why not? And I was like tasked with my, due to my crochet thing with, you know, sort of making a tutorial video so anybody can just help us out and, you know, you don't have to be a crocheter. And so I bought a tinier gorilla pod with, um, uh, an attachment that is sort of like a, uh, a, like a gripper that just holds onto your, your phone, um, from the, from like around it. Like I don't have to take my phone out of its case. I don't need to screw my phone into some kind of an attachment that will attach to the tripod. It just kind of grips it and can hold it in any angle. And I got the whole, the tripod part too, because it was only like $5 more to get the tripod with it. And it's adorable because it's, it's tinier. And so it'll be easy to like toss in my purse if I ever have to like, I don't know, use a tripod on the go. But it was, it was awesome. I recorded the video in like eight minutes, you know, edited it down and then I was done and I'm all about quick and dirty and it was quick and dirty. And I loved that I had this tiny little tool that was relatively inexpensive that I can now use all the time for something like that. That's super. I have been known to tape my iPhone to my current tripod, (laughs) um, with duct tape, which is not advised. I don't advise doing it, but, um, because it doesn't, it doesn't hold the iPhone. Like it right. holds my SLR, but it doesn't hold the iPhone. So that, yeah. that's sort of brilliant. Um, I'm going to check it out. Um, and I actually realized now that I forgot to ask you just since we're on the topic of crochet and the Guinness Book of Records crochet deal, um, what is your crafty crochet class on? Oh, uh, my crafty crochet class that'll uh, launch, I think early in the summer, it's super beginner crochet. And I was really excited and, and to be asked to teach this class because it, it, it's been about five years since I have worked in crochet, you know, sort of in a dedicated way. And, uh, and I had stepped away from it five years ago because I was utterly burnt out. I had done like nothing but crochet for five years and I like needed to have other kinds of conversations. And, uh, and so it was, it was fantastic to come back 
and focus on the things that I always were so excited about. I always was so excited about with crochet, which are that it's a really fun craft and it tends to be sort of the underdog to knitting. And that just makes me love it more because I don't, you know, because I, in general, in my worldview, find kind of ridiculous prejudices to be a waste of energy. I don't understand why people are inclined to hate on crochet, but I just see that as an opportunity to be like, uh, you know, like ugly is as ugly makes like crochet. You can say that crochet is awful, but only if you make it awful and it's wonderful if you make it wonderfully. So, um, my class is just basics, basic basics from like how to make a slip knot, um, to how to make the most basic crochet stitches and how to read a pattern. So I'm, I'm excited because I want my students to be able to leave the class knowing, feeling capable so that they can kind of embark upon making stuff they, they really want to make. Oh, that's and thanks. Yeah, that's so good. So I'm kind of a beginner crocheter. So that's totally of interest to me just because uh, from a skill standpoint, but I also totally understand the feeling of uh, rooting for the underdog because I, as you know, design sewing patterns for dolls and toys, which are very much uh, the underdog in the sewing world. And I am like on the mission just to make them a prominent place that they deserve. So right on. I totally get that feeling <laughs> of like, here we go. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Um, all right. So that's super. So the Gorilla Pod, awesome. Um, I, I wanted to talk about a family card game that we've been really enjoying. So my kids, my older kids are 10 and eight now. I also have a three-year-old. She doesn't play this game, but, um, but my older kids do. And it, this is a game called timeline. It's a card game. Um, and basically it's working on the idea of when different things happened in historical time. So, um, you got dealt a hand of cards and each card has like a picture on it and, um, a little description of what's in the picture. Um, and it doesn't have the date of when that thing happened. It just has the picture. The other side of the card has the date, but you can't see that. So to start, you put a card on the table with the date part face up, and that's kind of the anchor of your timeline for the whole game. And when it's your turn, you have to place one of your cards either before or after the anchor. So you have to decide, was the light bulb invented before glasses were invented or after glasses were invented? So you kind of have to, you have a hunch, like, mm, I think it was after. And then you put it down and then you flip it over and you see if the date lines up or not. If it does, you get to keep it there and build out the timeline with it. And if it doesn't, you have to discard it and draw a new card. And then it's the next person's turn. So the more cards you end up getting correct, the harder it is because there's so many dates already out in your timeline that when you have to decide, you're re- it's a really subtle choice between, you know, was it 1862 or 1865? Like you have to really know time. And it's so interesting because, you know, there's certain things that are very obvious, but a lot of things you are surprised by. It's all kinds of different historical events and inventions and stuff. Um, the pictures and the cards are really sort of beautiful, beautifully drawn, so they're pretty to look at. There's lots of cards, so you're not going to memorize, you know, these 17 ones, and then the game is kind of dumb because you already know the answer. There's just tons of cards. They come in this really nice little tin box. You can get expansion packs for different themes, so if you're really into timeline and you want to build out your deck, you can do that and keep playing and make it more exciting. Um, so it's a learning game, but it's also funny and fun. And you can play with a lot of different ages. You know, as adults, you kind of, you know, might not want to be too hard <laughs> for kids. But it's, I think it's a really great game. And, you know, if you homeschool or you just like to do some homeschool type things, I don't homeschool, but we like to do kind of, you know, educational things at home sometimes. So Timeline the Game is a good one. And it's also a good birthday gift or holiday gift, too. So... That sounds awesome. Yeah, I recommend it. It's fun. I, I can play it with my husband, too. Sometimes <laughs> we play Bananagrams and Mancala, you know, after the kids go to bed. So. <laughs> but Timeline is one of them, too. But um, All right, so, Rachel, we're back up to you. And we wanted to talk about, and I just looked this up on Etsy. It looks awesome. The Creative Muster, and they're these tiny picture frames. Oh, yeah, they're so cute, which reminds me, I need to finish the necklace that I started making with mine. Um, but there are these tiny little like frames basically, and there's little embroidery hoops and they're these tiny little wood and it comes in two pieces. So there's a back that's solid 
and then a front that has like the whole cutout. So it forms the frame. So you can, you know, put something in between them and glue them together. And, um, I took one and painted all of it like a bright yellow. And then actually it has, um, five cutouts in it and I put a piece of fabric behind it and then mod podge the fabric on the inside and then, you know, glued the pieces together and, then I put beads on half of it. Like I was going to make a necklace and I wonder where it is now, but it's super cute. I need to finish it so I can wear it to market. I'm going to make myself a note. (laughs) 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 That's how things work around here. And what Um, I didn't see the tiny embroidery hoops. Yeah. They're tiny. They're like an inch, like at the widest, they're an inch. Like you can't embroider in them. She says, um, well, you can't embroider in them because the back is, Right. Solid. Yeah. So that wouldn't really work again. Um, but you could put like a little tiny embroidery in them. And I know I had done, um, a class with Molly from wild olive at one point that was like all about embroidery at different scales. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. It was super cute. So I have like some magnets I have like teeny tiny embroidery and some like patchwork coasters. So I totally want to do another version of one of her little tiny, tiny embroideries and put it in one of those. It'd be great for like a necklace. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cute. cute. And I love the idea too of spraying them. Like you could get neon, you know, neon pink spray paint, spray the frame, spray the yeah. back. And that, that's gorgeous. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. I let kids make one too. That was, it was interesting, but they just painted like with wild abandon. They painted, <laughs> so as they will. Yes. <laughs> um, cool. That's a good craft supply. Um, all right, Kim, you wanted to talk about pages. So I'm just going to make a confession, which is I got pages recently and I haven't opened it yet, which is horrible. <laughs> so tell me about pages. So this is, this is like falls into the category of making this list when I was like super in a work headspace and not particularly in a play headspace. I'm like, yeah, all work and no play makes Kim a dull girl. But pages is the, the Apple word processor. Um, and it's, it's free if, you know, if you have a Mac, you don't have to pay for it anymore, which is pretty awesome. And it just, it doesn't do any of the things that make you want to pull your hair out that that Microsoft word has always done. (laughs) Um, and like, so I stopped using Microsoft word like 10 years ago and I've used an open, like a version of an open source word processor and I work as an editor, right? So it's important to me. I spend a lot of time in word processing. And the reason I put pages on my list is that they recently, like only in the last few months, introduced the feature that that it whose absence prevented me from using pages a lot more in my work, and that feature is track changes. So, Abby, I know you and I have worked together on an editing project. Track changes is what makes the editorial world go round. It's a feature in a word processor that allows either a collaborator or an editor to make changes and notes put in comments into a file that show up for the other person um, not like they show up highlighted so that you can see and you can accept or reject those changes. So as an editor, I use track changes constantly on the files that I'm editing. And then the author that I work with can accept or reject those changes as they see fit. Um, pages now has this feature and they do it beautifully. And that means that I can do more of my work in a program I actually enjoy using. That's not bloated with, you know, menu items that mean nothing. It's not bloated with menus that are poorly organized and I can never find anything. So, uh, pages is just, and it's, it's a wonderful program just as, as a writer as well, because it allows you to format things in a very straightforward way. Like I feel like half of my life as a student, um, back in the day was spent trying to format a Microsoft Word document to look how I wanted it to look, like have the bullets align properly and things that even then seemed like they should have been a no brainer, but weren't. And so the pages just does that and it, and it does it really nicely. So I encourage you to use pages, Abby, to open it up. Like it I should- know. And you can also insert like graphics and images and stuff in a really nice way that, you know, that I mean all those annoying parts of office, uh, where of Microsoft word, where the, the text flows the wrong way and you can't resize the image. You can't move it. You can't drag yeah. it and drop it and it just drives you insane. And pages, you can do all of that. Yes. And you can do it without pulling your hair out. Like if you're going to be creating PDFs, 
Um, and you're, you're not like a user of Illustrator or those fancy like Adobe page layout programs. And I'm not, I don't have the suite. I don't know how to use it. I don't either. I'll do, <laughs> I do PDF design in pages Yeah, because it allows, like they have templates that are actually lovely and not garish. And it is really, it's, it's very straightforward. It does what you want it to do, which is really all I can ask for in a, you know, in a solid program that I use all the time. And I know that I'm a kind of a huge fan of, um, lynda.com for learning new software. Mm -hmm. And I know pages seems intuitive and you probably don't need it, but I know that lynda.com has pages classes too. So, um, if you have a subscription there, you can just pop over and watch a couple pages videos and kind of get started that way. Although I'm sure there's tons on YouTube too. There's great YouTube videos for like every software. So I've learned a bunch from those too, but, um, all right, I'm going to, I'm motivated. I'm going to try it. It's on my summer to-do list. Do it. You can call me if, if like, yeah. if your hair pulled, I feel like I want to be like money back guarantee. If you're pulling your hair out, of course it was free, right? but I'd be happy to help you. Okay. Out. Thank you. Yes. I'm also feeling so Kim edited in full disclosure, Kim edited my, um, my ebook, which is, um, the insider's guide to starting an online sewing pattern business. And it was amazing talking about looping back to what we were talking about, about paying people to help you, uh, yeah, well worth paying for editing such a, such a good investment, not expensive and incredibly, incredibly useful. And I feel so much prouder of the final product and like marketing it toward people to people and, you know, asking to guest post on people's blogs and that sort of thing, knowing that the um, manuscript is professionally edited. So yay, Kim. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, all right. So I wanted to talk about a food thing too, which is, um, Oshi glows. Have you guys read the Oshi Oshi glows blog? No. No. Okay. So, um, Oshi glows is a blog. Uh, it's written by a woman named Angela Lidden. I don't know if I'm saying her last name right, but I think I am. Um, and it's a, it's all vegan recipes. We are not vegan. We are like the opposite of vegan. We eat all (laughs) kinds of everything. Um, but so Angela has a really interesting story. She suffered for a long, long time with eating disorder. And then she kind of helped herself get healthy by learning to love to cook and eat delicious food and, became vegan and started this blog, Oh, She Glows, to kind of document her journey toward health and cooking. And um, I first found it through a friend who recommended her a salad recipe that she had. I get tons of beets from our CSA. We've been, we have a CSA here that we've had for like 10 years. And, um, every summer we're like deluged with beets. I don't know if they just grow really well in Massachusetts. I don't know what, but so she has this salad. It's a raw beet and carrot and apple salad and it's delicious. You don't have to cook anything. You can make it for lunch super easy. So I've been making it for a couple of years and now she has a cookbook out. Um, it's called the Oshi Glows Cookbook and it has a hundred recipes. So I just got it. It has like 185 five-star reviews on Amazon. So I was like, okay, it's gotta be, it's gotta be something in here. That's good. So it's all vegan. I had to buy a couple of things, honestly, that I didn't own like flaxseed, chia seed, coconut oil. Okay. But I love food and I love cooking. So I was like, I'll just buy those. And they had them at Whole Foods. It was no big deal. Um, and I made the soul soothing African peanut stew from the Osha Glows cookbook, uh, two nights ago for dinner five-star rating for my family. We all loved it. It was delicious, um, healthy and super good, not hard to make. The book is really beautifully done. I think a hundred recipes in a book is a good deal. Um, you get full bleed photos of every single dish and it really makes cooking vegan food approachable and it's helping us have more like meat-free dinners at my house. So I totally recommend it. I think it's great. Um, yeah. I'm so going to order that. Yeah. Oh, she glows. Yeah. We're not vegan either, but we don't eat a lot of meat. Um, just, I don't know. We just don't. But my husband loves to cook, so I buy him cookbooks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my husband loves to cook too. It's interesting. But we have really different approaches. So, like, I'm more of kind of a freewheeling cooker. Like, add a little of this. It's okay, you know. And he's very scientific, so we can't cook together because he's like – making an omelet and he'll want to know like exactly how much butter to put in the pan. I'm like, just cut off some butter and put it in the pan. He's like, is it a teaspoon? Is it a teaspoon and a quarter? I'm like, oh my God, I got to get out of the kitchen. So he yeah, cooks like that too. Yeah. He's like the scientist cooker and I'm the opposite. So he cooks with my daughter, with one of my daughters. And then I, yeah, so we kind of split it up, but I love it when he makes dinner. It's great. 
Um, it turns out also if you follow recipes like that, your food comes out really well. So a lot of times his food comes out like better than mine because he does actually follow the recipes of the tea. And I'm more like, ah. they have those recipes for a reason. What? I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So Rachel, we're back up to you and you want to talk about, um, an illustrator and uh, I don't know how to say her name. Well, her name is Denise Holmes. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm like, ooh, it felt really exciting to be like, what is next? I, <laughs> on the list. I, I felt like this anticipation of it's going to be something good. Um, yeah, so her website's called Nisi Made. Okay. Oh, Nisi, like Denise. Okay, got it. Yeah, I, I, I'm like 99% yeah, sure. Yeah, I think you're right. So okay. it's Nisi, if you're listening, and I'm wrong, feel free to um, blast me. No. Um, but she makes the most I don't know I have, I'm such a sucker for like these adorable illustrations with just there's something about the quality of the lines in her illustrations that I really like um random but when I I didn't graduate college but I went for three years for architecture and um I started at Virginia Tech, and I remember the first day I showed up to studio class our teacher that was the thing she, we, we drew lines that's what we did for like four hours, um, which is really kind of bizarre when you're, I was not even 18 yet, um, and I'm in this different state, and I think this is going to be all fancy, right? And then you show up the first day, and you draw lines for four hours, and you're a little like, wow, they've lost it. Um, but I have a great appreciation for the line. Um, but so there's something just about Denise's lines and there's a playfulness to her illustrations. And I actually have a printable that I designed, um, that she did some illustrations for me for that. I also have sitting in a draft, uh, blog post that will hopefully be up soon, but I just, I think everyone should check her out. She's adorable. And she sells stuff on Etsy too. She just illustrated a book and she's just got a lot of stuff going on and it's just super adorable. I'm just, I have a huge crush on her. Yeah. I'm looking at her illustrations and I'm like, I'm that, I'm like in this fantasy that she could draw my toys and how amazing that would be. Like if we ever got a chance to do something oh, like that. Oh, that would be so cool. Wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, always, you should email her. I know. I've always just wanted say, to do something yeah. like that. I think because these are, this style is just so whimsical and adorable and just mod and modern at the same time. It's just perfect. Right. Yeah. I love it. Uh, thank you for introducing me to her. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Good one. Um, all right, Kim. So, all right, this is a crochet thing. And actually, so these are the Addy crochet hooks. And when I had Gwen Bortner on the show, she recommended these Addy knitting needles. And I don't, I don't, are they, it must be from the same company, obviously. Yes. Same company. Okay. Yeah. And okay. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to break the rules if I can break the rules. I want to tell you briefly about the Addy hooks and then I want to like pretend like I had said something else for my third thing. Absolutely. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay. So, uh, the Addy hooks, yes, they're, they're Addy is A-D-D-I and they also make knitting needles and they're nickel plated metal hooks and needles. They are my favorite hook in part because they have like a plastic handle that's a bit, um, a bit bigger than the hook itself. And when I, when I first learned how to crochet ages ago, um, my grandmother came to town. She's a bit of a difficult woman. And I spent the weekend with her in my living room, listening to her talk. And I crocheted myself into tendonitis like over two days and, uh, like ended up in physical therapy, the whole thing. Like I got tennis elbow from crocheting. It was fascinating. Um, the Addy hooks. So I enjoy having a sort of a wider handle, but I mentioned them in the list because every time I post a photo of crochet work in progress and it has my hook in it, inevitably, uh, someone says, Oh my God, where did you find that hook? And so I'm just talking about it as much as I can. Addy hooks, they're distributed by Skissel. You could, should be able to find them in any local yarn store across the land. And I love them. I think that they're wonderful. And for as many people, like me and Gwen who say they're the best. There are hundreds of people who say they suck. I like something else. So keep that in mind, but they are my favorite. Okay. Um, and then, okay, so I'm going to do a bait and switch and talk about crochet hooks, but then uh, you're talking about illustration and my kind of banging my head against the wall because I was so serious and work-related in my list of things. And that <laughs> I want to talk about 
like taking classes is, is, is the thing that I really want to say. Like, so this year, uh, January 1st, I decided that I was going to kind of make something every day this year. And, um, as just like a reminder to myself to keep in mind that making stuff is fun, right? When you work in crafts and creative world, like making stuff is like work. And I wanted to, I wanted to just make sure that every day I made something just for the heck of making something. And the results of that one promise to myself has, have been so much fun. Like I've done all sorts of things that I had never done before. One of which is doodling. Like I've never done anything having to do with drawing. I've and been watching the- your doodles. Have you? Yes. <laughs> They're adorable. I love them. Are they Thank on, you. Are you post them on Instagram? I do. Okay. I post everything on, like I, I, so every day I post something hashtag year of making. Got it. Um, and it's actually a friend and colleague of mine named Miriam Felton. She's a knitwear designer. Last year she embarked upon a year of making and I loved following her year of making. And I was like, okay, that's it. I'm inspired by her except in, you know, no rules. It doesn't have to be, I'm going to make a particular thing. I hate cooking unlike you guys. And so I was like, you know what, if I make dinner, that counts as year of making. And over the course of this year so far, and we're not even halfway through the year, I've made all sorts of things that I had never made before. And it, this, my interest in doodling sort of coincided coincidentally with the launch of Lisa Congdon's line drawing class on creative bug. And she's, I mean, she's amazing. I find her to be like almost painfully inspiring because she's so honest about her work and her life and how, you know, sort of like her ups and her downs and her struggles and her successes. And so that she in particular was teaching a class about exactly the thing that I was starting to be interested in kind of blew my mind. And I still haven't even finished taking the class because I've been so hung up just doing all sorts of other things. But I haven't either. I, I can't, I can't like handle that much inspiration all at once or something. Like I need like to, to space it out. It's so yeah. good. Well, that's it. Like I've, I've watched two of the four lessons in her class and I, and I ended watching the second one like a month ago or longer. Um, and eventually I'll go back to it, but I'm also a big fan of, um, an artist and an author named Austin Cleon who wrote a book called steel, steel, like an artist. And oh, yeah. But like I, I, I was fairly open earlier about how intimidated I felt those years ago before I started Mighty Ugly about making that doll. Um, that intimidation, I find, goes away when I allow myself to copy what someone else has done. Not copy it for profit, not copy it to sell it, not copy it necessarily even to show someone else, but like as a starting point for doing something that I just don't feel I know enough about to do on my own. And... Oh my God, how liberating it is when you allow yourself not to have to be original all the time, but just to say, oh, wow. You know? And so what I love about Lisa Congdon's line drawing class is that it's essentially a guided practice in copying her. And, and I think her work is amazing, but she also makes it very accessible. And so her class is permission to copy her and I love it. And it's, it's great. And so that's copying. Yay. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it speaks to sort of uh, following a pattern. Sometimes when you, especially when you design a pattern, when you design patterns for a living, um, you always feel like every project you have to come up with from scratch, like, you know, and there's just something so sort of relaxing and wonderful about just buying somebody else's pattern and just doing that, you know, or like following a pattern from a book. It's just so great sometimes, you know, and that's it too. When you take a class. So I'm also in the middle right now of taking a class. I'm sewing my very first dress and I like every woman on the planet. Um, I, I'm not the same size on my top and my bottom. And so one of the things I was really excited about for this class was that there will be a teacher in the room and there is a teacher in the room and she, you know, guided me through making the small size of the dress on top. Like, grade into the large size of the dress on the bottom in order to make it like I could have stared at that for hours and hours and not felt comfortable cutting the fabric if I were doing it in my own house. Cause I don't have the experience or the skills to do that with knowledge, but being in a classroom with a teacher, now that's done. Now I have this pattern that's graded to myself and I feel like I have that starting point that, okay, I'm going to make a few more of these dresses, I think. And eventually I'll feel comfortable in the knowledge that I have of this dress to learn more about pattern sizing so that I can alter patterns for myself without someone else's help moving down the line. But it's like, 
classes. They're so useful. Absolutely. Seriously, go ahead and take some. I'm a big fan. Um, Crafty, Creative Bug, Linda, there's lots of places to do it online. Creative Live now is also awesome. There's mm-hmm. just so much you can learn and you can do it at home. If you have kids and you can't get out, it's just, I think it's fantastic. It's one of the best things about the way the internet is now, you know, it's just, I think it's really great. So, and in person too, I'm taking this dress class at a local sewing shop and it's, it's fantastic. Even better. Yeah, Yeah. totally. Even better. Um, support your local shop and local instructors too. Um, all right guys, well, we are pushing to an hour, so I think we're going to wrap up, but, um, this has been fantastic. And I know that there are some awesome things that we didn't get to on our list. So maybe you'll come back on and we can get to those things at a later time because um, I really wanted to hear about those too. That'd be awesome. I would totally be up for that. Okay. Super. Well, thank you so much for sharing these pics with me. And um, Kim, where can we find you online? Uh, at kimworker.com. And okay. my name is spelled W-E-R-K-E-R. Super. Okay, great. And Rachel, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at imaginenats.com, like the, the bug, nat. Right, dot com. Okay, super. And um, this has been the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. You can find me on my blog, walshynaps.com. And if you have suggestions for future shows, I'd love to hear them. Send me an email or connect with me on Twitter or Facebook. And you'll find all my links on my blog. So thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. 